Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Okay. I'm a betrayer and will be starting Doghouse Workshop tomorrow. Great. I'm interested in beginning a 12-step program. I just purchased the green book and have joined a local 12-step call. My understanding is that going through the steps with a sponsor is really the only way to go through the process. I don't have a sponsor yet. What is the best way to get a good sponsor? This is a great question. Thank you for asking. Tammy? I was going to say, you want me to he, he, I love the 12 step. So, so you're just going to start all this. So the first thing, so you're going to probably be scared. We've got lots of resources, including lists of 12 steps. So, so there's in-person, but there's also online join our drop-in groups. Just say, this is my first meeting. I hear I need a sponsor. You know, is somebody willing to sponsor me and pick somebody? And it doesn't have to be like a lifelong, you know, uh, this is not a lifelong relationship, although some people do. But it's, it's really one of those, you just need somebody who's ahead of you. I would ask them, you know, how long did it take you to go through the steps? You know, what was your process for going through the steps? But again, just get help. So, so starting, you'll, you'll also connect with people in the doghouse work group. Um, and you can ask mm-hmm. Jason, he's the one that leads that. You can ask him uh, for some support too. I would also highly encourage that you start working with, we talked about those CSAT trained therapists, getting the right help um, and if this is your first work group, all good, but you may want to consider the, uh, the sex addiction or porn addiction, depending on which is the right fit um, uh, work group as well, because that's a really solid foundation and they do make peer connections in those groups as well. So, um, so there's lots of resources. We've got a whole video series on under the resource tab under video on working through the steps um, uh, that may be oh, useful for you too. That's yeah. a great video. Yes. With Charlie Rizzi. And you're in that video, I am, as I but, recall. Yes, yeah. But it's really Charlie. Um, so so um, I agree that I agree with everything Tammy said. And um, I do think, though, that, for, for example, with me, well, a couple of things. Um, at least go to six or eight meetings before mm-hmm. you decide if you it's useful. Some people will go on being addicts. What we do is we look for the most troubled person in the room and we say, oh, my God, I don't do that. And then we say, I don't belong here and we leave. So try to keep your eye out more for people who tell stories like yours, because I would be thinking, wow, that might be someone I'd want to send a text to or something in the chat or whatever it is. You want to reach out to these people. They want you to reach out to them. So, you know, the only thing I would say different than Tammy is back in the old days, and I don't know if people still go to meetings, but I might say who would come out have a cup of coffee or who would, you know, to get to know some folks or it doesn't have to be a sponsor. Can someone just help me figure out what all this is about and help me understand sponsor, you know, and maybe they can be a guide toward that. The only reason I say it a little different than Tammy is I, I think it's a hard thing to ask. And I think you do really want to have scoped out the room to see, you know, who might be the best person for you. And you find that out by going and listening to what they have to say and thinking, oh yeah, they're a little further down the road that I am. They seem to have, you know, done disclosure and they're over there. You know, you don't want someone who's brand new because they can't help you. So anyway, but yes, you need one and you don't just need them to go through the steps. They can, they're like a life advisor at some point. When you've poured out your heart over the course of 18 months to somebody you don't know about everything and they have supported you and held you, you know, you, it's a relationship. And I have sponsors I'm still friends with many, many years later. 
Um, so uh, it and evolves over time. So, but it's a great question. It really and every question. meeting is a little different. I had the luxury of I was traveling and I went to a very cool meeting and I loved their format. But they, they, part of their process was to say, you know, and who is available to sponsor and people raised their hands. And so it wasn't even mm -hmm. like, you didn't even have to ask, you know, I was like, this is brilliant. And I've seen it, but it had been a while, but, but it's one of those, like you could, after the meeting, go up and talk to that person, you know, and just say, you raised your hand, you know, as being a sponsor, I need a sponsor. Like you can do it almost covert. You don't have to go, I need a sponsor. So, so there, so be open, be willing. I'm so glad you're, you know, it's a, it's a lifelong journey. So you don't have to know it all before you go. So, okay. Next question is, thanks for everything you do. Will EMDR be an effective way to treat compulsive behavior? I grew up around promiscuous behavior, dad acting out, um, and now as a 33-year-old man, my behavior aligns with behaviors that my dad does. Prostitutes and massage parlors always struggle with sobriety, but have found traction in paying attention to my body and what I'm feeling. Thoughts? Well, I, I don't think it's an either or. Um, I, I think that, you know, EMDR is really its most on solid ground with where the research is. And almost all the research talks about it being able to stabilize people who have a lot of trauma. So, you know, growing up around promiscuous behavior, dad acting out, all of that stuff, I have a feeling it affected you, you know, things you saw, things you heard, ways you were parented, um, even if you weren't aware of them, but your mom was. So um, there is, if there's trauma and abuse, that is some of the energy, I guess, I don't like that word, but some of the psychic energy that's driving some of your acting out, of course, but it isn't the EMDR not for compulsive behavior. I know people who've taken courses, written books. There's just no proof that um, addiction itself is really um, what's the word um, eased by uh, EMDR. But it it is about if the pressure underneath some of that is horrible memories or things that make you overwhelmed or you know that stuff. The intensity of the past can be alleviated. So the other thing I wanted to say is I really appreciate there are forms of, soma of somatic therapy, which is a lot about, uh, oh, I noticed your breathing slowed when you stopped, or could you, you know, it's a lot about, or your hand seems to be, you know, tapping on the, I wonder what it means. And so there, there are therapies that are very, very useful that are more focused on the body uh, in relationship to what you're feeling and doing. And I think that is a great form of therapy as long as you're sober. And you've gotten into recovery and now you're at the at the sort of deeper level. So I guess there's a conflict here, which is if you're still engaging the behavior or still close to the behavior, then stabilizing you is the most important thing. And if that means reducing some trauma reactivity or going to lots of meetings or whatever you need to do, medication, whatever it is, great. Um, but the longer term issues, um, even the part about um, what your dad did in the relationship to you that's something I'd really wait for until you feel solid in your recovery. So anyway, Tammy, you've seen lots of EMDR folks. What's your thought? I, I do, but it's always on a specific thing. It doesn't like cover no, everything. I just, no, I didn't no, no. mean that you, <laughs> I no. meant that you've worked with a lot. You've met a lot. Yeah, no, it, yeah, I have. And I've done okay. my own personal EMDR. Like oh, it's, okay. it's great on a thing, you know, like on specific. one. Yeah, like, you know, so, and I love it. But, you know, it's not going to magically take away all the compulsive behaviors. But like Dr. Rob said, if there's something that's really 
you know, triggering, but I, I, I think the body work, I think some mindfulness techniques, and we talk you know, about that a lot as well. I did put in um, the attachment wound because I was like hearing a bunch of attachment wounds because your dad's behavior on, I, I, you know, abandonment, neglect, all of those things. So, so highly, um, highly encourage you to check out, um, there's a work group for that. And um, I would, uh, it won't start again until September. Try, reach out to me, email me, Tammy, T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com if you need more information on any of the resources we're talking about, because I can be more specific when I can look for stuff. So, but glad you're asking the questions and glad you're working on the compulsive behaviors. Okay, the next one is, Two questions. I have had a problem with objectifying women. I am in recovery, but still notice women sometimes, which hurts my wife. I don't fantasize about them. How can I hurt my wife less? That's the first question. Um, I love sharing and being, this is the second one. I love sharing and being emotionally intimate. Well, I want to read both of them and go back. I love sharing and being emotionally intimate with my wife, but it makes me feel sexually aroused when we're not ready for sex yet. How can I prevent my sexual interest from being a problem? Okay, so I, I want to start with the second one, which is what is intimacy? Um, contrary to popular belief, intimacy has nothing to do with sex. Intimacy is about being known. I love the sharing part. I love the emotional intimacy part. But what does have to do? So is there anything physical going on? You know, um, that's what I, you know, when you say emotionally intimate, does that mean holding? Does that mean hugging? You know, so I would watch out for that if that's your goal to not be sexual. The other is, you know, it's a great opportunity to say, you know, sweetheart, I'm becoming aroused and I know that's not our goal. So I'm going to go read a book. I mean, because that kind of I'm not going to take it forward, even though I'm feeling this way is what we do in addiction. You know, we we put it down, even though we want to pick it up. So and what a beautiful thing that this connection makes you aroused. That's beautiful. And keep your commitment. Don't make your partner keep your commitment for you. Mm-hmm. Some of us uh, say, oh, I'm going to not have sex for three months or a month. And then, you know, we're close to our partner and then we do. And then they think, wait a minute, didn't they say that they were, didn't they break this commitment right in front of me? So um, anyway, I, I think emotional intimacy doesn't sound like, would, I mean, I love emotional intimacy. I'm not sure it makes you feel aroused. Um, so uh, the first question, you want to hit that one, Tam? I had problems with objectifying women. I'm in recovery, but still notice women sometimes, which hurts my wife. So I don't fantasize about them. How can I hurt my wife less? It's I, what I hear is I have had problems. I mean, but I still notice women sometimes. So I don't know if you're using the three second rule, which doesn't mean you can gawk at them for three seconds. And, you know, it, it, it really is about, you know, turning away. And I'll tell you, you know, if you're with your wife, you know, how much more to focus on your wife, you know, like, like make sure you know, you're holding hands, you're looking intently in her eyes, you're having a conversation with her, not looking off and being distracted by other people. Yeah. So it's one of those where I think that you have the ability to do things differently, um, uh, you know, and your wife will notice that. And it, it, there's still going to be hurt if, you know, if you're objectifying and looking, but the more you're working to be in alignment, the more you're, you're, I mean, she'll feel the connection too. So, but it sounds like you're early in the process because you're not ready for sex yet. So it sounds like this is early. So having a plan. right? And you know what? 
it, it's she's going to have bad feelings about it. And it is true that you're a human being and we notice people who walk on and no matter how little, how short it is, how, you know, she's going to think whatever she thinks and she's going to feel bad. And, you know, I've had people say, and I don't know what your situation is or whether you consider objectifying doing this. I don't know what it means to you. So I'm not going to say that, but I've had people, you know, um, say things like, well, my goal is to not have any more sexual thoughts. I mean, that's not going to happen. It, yeah. So the balance between what is reasonable, sorry, Tammy, go ahead. We're going to say, no, I was just like, like, that's impossible. So, you know, but people talk about it, you know, um, and the idea of all of this is not to eliminate your sexuality is to choose sex that is healthy for you. And I don't think there's anything unhealthy for someone to do that. I do think it's unhealthy for, to stare, to gawk, to follow. And this three second rule, as Tammy said, is I look for a second. I look away in the next second. And then I think of that person as someone's daughter or brother or son or whatever. I try to, or I pray for them. I try to humanize them. And then I don't look back. It isn't a waltz. I just keep moving. Um, and that's the end of that. So um, I'm human, not my job to stare. And I really wish them well. You know, I mean, that's what it is. But am I going to look? I think what's even worse is this, which is I'm not going to look my spouse. I'm not going to let my spouse see that I'm looking. Oh, I'm looking. I mean, that's even worse. So um, we should move on time. We've got lots of yes. questions. Sorry. Yes, we do. So uh, can you suggest some good resources and or tools to use to build empathy out of the doghouse? The work group starts tomorrow. When my wife shows her pain, I never seem able to respond appropriately. Mm -hmm. I react and avoid. Then after the fact, I think of ways I should have responded, but it's too late. My wife then withdraws as she can't get the support she needs from me. And we go backwards. We are getting more and more distant. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I really don't mean to push my work. And when I sell a book, I make 10 cents because the yeah. publisher makes the rest. That's true. But um, you should get out of the doghouse because it is a book written for men who are struggling with helping their spouses, female in particular. Well, how, how men can help a woman spouse feel um, like he gets what she's going through. The book is not necessarily about everything's going to be fine, but the, the path through is that you're not defending, you're not apologizing, you're not fixing, you don't have an agenda. You're just really looking at him, watching what's going on with your partner and responding in the way that makes the most sense for that situation. In other words, I want to say to somebody, look, it's been three months. Would you just give me a break? But the book says, I say, you know, um, it's been just three months and I completely understand you're feeling that way. And that doesn't come natively to me. I want to say, leave me alone, but that makes things worse. So um, I will say about this, about that. I don't think that we're bad people because we don't know how to support our, our partners through this. I think that we've never learned how to help ourselves work through pain, no less help somebody we care about work through pain. So, but you can learn and yeah, and that is available to you. Well, and, and I'm going to go, you know, because I hear you guys are in, things are getting worse. So we have a treatment program and we work on those underlying issues, the stuff that's keeping you from being able to step into that space. You know, that's one of many things that our, our team is, you know, it, it, it like some people come to us, they have stopped the acting out behavior. They're, they're at that spot, but they are not making the progress that they need to for themselves or their relationship. And so that's the stuff that we can help with. So if that's, 
you know, if you're open to considering that, we have an amazing expert treatment team, including Dr. Rob, who works directly with the clients as well, you know, in our residential program. So that's my add-on to that. So, okay, next question. My SAPA husband has been bouncing around since October saying he wants to fix things, but then he doesn't trickle. Oh, there's another come to treatment. Um, trickle days and retractions recently came to my vacation spot. He decided to stay in a different place, did not give me the location of his condo, saying he was worried I would want to stay there with him. My hope was, has always been recovery. He, has, uh, he was there five nights and expects me to believe nothing happened while he was alone most of those five nights. He doesn't understand why why that stressed me out or hurt me What's the prescribed direction for couples dealing with no empathy, understanding of the betrayed partner. I give that to you. Integrity treatment program. I'm like at some point, what is it, you know, uh, how long I say this often to to couples because they're like, Oh, I don't want to spend the money. I don't want to invest the time. And I'm like, what is it costing you to not get the help? I I mean, I hear the pain. You have no reason to believe that nothing happened. I would not believe that. And he wanted to say separately because he didn't want to be together. I mean, it's like, Oh my gosh, it's crazy making. So, so at some point, what healthy boundary do you need for you? What help do you need to see him get in order to be a different person? You know, we get, such amazing, uh, I mean, I, it doesn't fix everything magically in the time that they're with us, but, but I hear so often, not just from the alumni, but from, from the partners and spouses that they see that he's making progress. They see that he's changing, you know, I, it, it, that's more meaningful to me than when the, when the alumni says it, you know, but it, it, it you have no reason to believe that he's willing to step into recovery at this point from he's showing you that. So thoughts, Dr. Rob. Yeah, I just, I I don't have a lot to say. I think you said it. And I think this is, um, it is very clear that this is a, not someone who's respecting your relationship with you, regardless of what they're doing. Um, But um, when you say, what is the prescribed direction for couples? I, I really think what is the prescribed direction for you? You know, you can't at this point do anything to influence your coupleship, but what does it mean to you that someone comes to visit you who's your lover, partner, friend, husband, and doesn't stay with you? I mean, I think that's how it's not about, I mean, you're getting a very clear message. How are you dealing with them? And a message, and I'm really glad you're here, but you are a perfect person to stop in the Betrayed Partners group, which is free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's several of them, because I think that um, you would not only see this more clearly, I think you'd get a lot of support because you know what's going on here. I trust you completely. And even if that isn't going on, something ain't right. And, um, and you don't have to worry about why he, 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 that stressed you out. You don't have to worry about him not understanding. You just have to take care of you. And taking care of you is probably going to be pulling back a little bit. You know, whatever that is, he'll notice. <laughs> he'll notice. Um, but I don't think it's, I don't think there's a lot you can do if someone goes, is that far out there that they don't even think about you when they're doing this. I, I'm not sure you can have much effect on him, but I think you can take much better care of yourself. I'm going to say one more option because Dr. Rob does a, a one-time expert consultation. And for some people that can be really helpful in clarifying what the issues are, engaging you know where somebody's willingness to move forward is so uh, so it's a one time two hours via zoom if that's something you're interested in you know email me and and i'll tell you more about it so 
Okay, next question. The trade mail, uh, would a therapeutic disclosure provide me with a clear and cohesive story that is necessary to represent my past since all my presuppositions of what I thought I was real has been flipped upside down? Um, I, I know that this doesn't help you any, but I want to point out to everyone that men get betrayed too. Mm-hmm. And women are sex addicts and women are porn addicts. We, having, I think, created and run the first treatment center for female sex addicts, I can tell you that um, they need places to go. They need support. No one understands them. You know, what do you think of a woman who's having a lot of sex? What do you call that woman versus a man? It's very difficult for them to get help. So I really appreciate that you're here and that your spouse um, is working on, uh, it looks, I think, herself. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Could be his himself. Well, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's Could a male himself. partner. Let's, right. yeah. So that's so fine. Him or her. So, but yes. it, yeah. But anyway, if you're with a woman, I'm glad to hear you're here. Um, if you're gay, that's fine too. Um, I see the capital C's, and I'm not sure. You know, I think you really wanted us to hear the word clear and cohesive because that's what you want. I hear you. Um, I don't think that. A therapeutic disclosure is about getting a clear and cohesive story of everything that's happened. Um, it's just the beginning. It's just information. It isn't even on the way to an apology or please forgive me. It's simply an inventory, you know, uh, and the way I like to do a disclosure is on a single page, you know, you're writing 15 or 20 things that the spouse absolutely didn't know about. And you're just saying, here's my list. Here's my list. And then spouses get to ask questions that they've been meaning to ask for a while or whatever. And then you may come back and ask questions later or whatever. But it isn't um, going to give you a, a full presentation of what's going on in your relationship over years and years. It, it will tell you when you're on vacation in Hawaii that he or she snuck off and you were right. They didn't just go shopping and maybe that they saw a sex worker, but it's not going to tell you the meaning or how it relates to the relationship or what the two of you um, have been experienced together outside of just the acting out. It is simply a list of what I did sexually and romantically that you don't know about. Um, and sometimes the money that I spent in that process as well, stuff like that. Um, but maybe, Tammy, I, I don't understand the question because it is broad. What do you think? I, like, here's what I male or female partner, it doesn't matter. Of course, your world has been flipped upside down and you're trying to take all of these pieces that are jumbled up and make sense of all of it. And the, and I say this to partners all the time, you cannot understand with your normal brain how an addict can do this stuff. And, and that's why we need support, you know, by other people like us, because addicts a hundred percent understand not as not that it's justified, you know, the compartmentalization, the lies, the deceit, the lying to ourselves. And so, so a formal therapeutic disclosure, and it kind of answers the next question too. A formal therapeutic disclosure can set a, a, a foundation for healing, you know, for the couple. It is not going to make sense of everything that has been flipped upside down. That's that's a process for you, you know, to get support and healing for you. Um, to put the pieces together, because while you think nothing was ever truthful, there were pieces that were like, like, that's the compartmentalization of like, you know, when we were together and all that, was that a lie? No, that was actually real, you know, but, but yeah, there was chaos and everything else around it. So, so 
so it's just challenging um, to be, it's no, it's horrible to be in that position of having your whole world turned upside down. Hopefully the, your partner is working diligently on being a better person, being a different person and being able to show up for you and the relationship. So I'm going to quickly add to the next question because it's five months in my recovery. Why is full disclosure mm -hmm. important? And when does it occur? Talk to your CSAT. This is not a do-it-yourself thing. This is so. And this so, is not a twelve-step thing either. No, it's a no, formal this, yes, therapeutic yeah. disclosure. Right. So, so that's the question. And every CSAT does it a little bit differently, but it really is working on getting you prepared and your partner having the support to get prepared as well. And then, you know, that then that is an event, but it's part of the, you know, it's still part of the journey. I keep using journey, but I like them as a band too. But anyway, so next question. Yuck. Yuck. No, I'm enough older than you. Um, I heard you mention EMDR. Is it usual to do this one time, one event or multiple times for one event? It depends on how it, how you do. I mean, um, they're targeting a specific issue. Um, you might have all kinds of memories that come around that, and then you might have to work on it more. It's sort of like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of it. It's like sanding something down. You know, you might have a piece of wood that's fairly smooth. You don't have a lot of sanding to do. You might have one that's, you know, splinter ready and it needs more work. But generally, I think they go in like, um, like a series, if I'm not wrong, like people go for four times, they go six times. Also that, um, so it, I would not, uh, go to EMDR on my own. I would be seeing a therapist who said to me, I think EMDR would be helpful for this. This isn't like going on, uh, how do I say this? It isn't something that you just say, oh, I, this is what I decide to do and I'm going to go see an EMDR specialist. It is something that a therapist who isn't an EMDR specialist may say, let's do a little bit of this, but it's a technique. It's not the whole thing. You know, it is a part of therapy that's useful in certain circumstances, but if that's all that person does, then you're just going for a consultation. You're not going to see them as a primary therapist. Um, I love, I got to, can we answer this question? I don't know if we have any more time. We do. I want to answer both of these. Dr. Rob, you said once the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. And you've talked about this a lot, but how do you become indifferent? I still have so many mixed emotions against abusive spouse who abandoned me. Well, I think the indifference comes with time. And, you know, I think indifference comes with making your own peace. It has nothing to do with what they do. If you are not able to come to terms, you know, you might back off, you might distance. Um, of course, you have all these mixed emotions. I mean, and someone who's abusive and they abandon you, I bet they pulled on every trigger you have. But I will say this. Um, when you love someone, you'll always love them. And I have spouses say, you know, or people say, well, he or she was so abusive and I shouldn't have feelings for them after what they did. Of course you will. I mean, it's not like you can erase the feelings you have someone altogether. It, it, you know, hurt is not an eraser. So time might be, but hurt is not. So um, I think that when you come to peace with what this is for you, you're either going to want to move forward or move back. And I don't think you get to either, you can't pick that place. <laughs> you know, you may want to be indifferent because you're still in all this pain, but you're not because you still feel all this connection. And, you know, um, I don't stop loving someone when they die. I don't stop loving someone when they hurt me. Um, 
but yes, deep hurt and anger is very different than indifference. Indifference is really indifference means I'm ready to move on. That's what indifference means. Not that I'm in, not that I'm with them and I just feel nothing, but indifference means I'm done. That's what it means to me. Sorry. To and, and I've seen that play out, you know, for people where, you know, they, they used mm. to be in the emotional, you know, stew and all, you know, like you see them finding their own path and their own life and what the addict is doing or not doing is of less consequence. You know, it's just kind of like, well, whatever, I'm doing my own thing. And so when the relationship has ended, then it's more about grieving, um, grieving the loss of the relationship, grieving the loss of what you hope for. So to me, it feels like you're in a place where grieving uh, is the work that is in front of you, which is a process. So, okay. Last question. Does delusional thinking continue within essays recovery? Working in therapy, 12-step couple therapy now, uh, great, but going, or not great, but going, warmed a seat for two years, but now starting to do the work. So so what's the question? By the way, my my dog is no longer licking me. He's biting me, which means freaking feed me. He's hungry. I don't want to eat me. So what... What is Does delusional thinking continue with an essay's recovery? And I'm going to say yes with, and it's not just essay, it's any addiction. Like, yeah, yes, that's, I mean, that's why people relapse. They, they, they magically think, oh, I'm doing better now. So I can quit doing all the things that were working or I've got this now. I mean, I hear that a lot of like, you know, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm doing so much better because the life circumstances got a little bit better. So therefore I'm going to quit doing all of the things that have actually worked for me. And then they're mad. They're so confused that how did this happen? I've relapsed. So, so my spouse has forgiven me so I can yes. slowly back away. from. Yes. Work. Yes. Um, I, I think that this is a lifelong process and my thinking is skewed. If I had time, I'd tell you stories, but the bottom yeah, line is yeah. I try, I try to write, I try to run many of my decisions anything meaningful past someone else i don't just there's a part of me that says i want what i want and i don't care what anybody else thinks there's just that part of me and it can apply to addiction or it could be something expensive that i want to buy and i don't want to tell my spouse how much it's going to cost but it is in me that sense of entitlement and i need to constantly work on it especially since i may never fully see it and so i have to run my stuff by other people um that's why you go to those programs and why you go to these groups and anything. And you have me. people that know you so that they can go, well, I hear what you're saying, but you know, did you right. think of that? And they can say it in a loving way and call you on your BS. So that's, I, I'm a hundred percent and it's delusional. It doesn't matter what form of addiction. Like we get very compartmentalized and blinders down because we, you know, we've got a plan. So, and, our, and just remember our best thinking got us here. So, so it's one of those where we need other people to have input on our lives. So, Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.